Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D Show. We're all the way to episode 413. I am your host, Bob Walton. Spiel hanging out with producer Randy Walker. Guest this week is Brian Schneebs Schneebly from Sentinel One. We're going to be talking about security and properties of security and how the movie, uh, what is it, The uh, Rock of Ages, uh, was it Rock of Ages? Uh, ruined ruined you forever? Because wasn't that the teacher's name? The Jack Black where he taught the kids and he stole the identity of his... And his it, life. It, 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 it was School of Rock. And it was School of Rock. Amazing right. movie. And it was uh, uh, Jane Cusack, going, Joan Cusack going, Mr. Schneebly. <laughs> how, how, yeah, so... But you can find us online, itinthed.com and do us a favor, give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. So before the show, we were talking about uh, shows we were watching. I finally finished Squid Game. Um, if you've not seen that, it is... Uh, from the trailer, I haven't watched it, but from the trailer, it looks like it's a cross between Saw and Hunger Games. Nah, maybe a little bit of Hunger Games. Um, it's very dystopian. Um, it's 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 really it's, it's got a really cool twist at the end. Uh, spoiler alert! I'm not going to say it. Um, it's worth the watch. It's it's long. It's drawn out, man. It's nine. I think it's nine hours long. It's nine one hour episodes. Oh, wow! Um, but once you get wrapped, man, it's it's super well done. Um, it's it's super creepy and weird too at the same time. Um, but like, yeah, you you immediately it's Korean, not Chinese. So because I, I immediately did the uh, uh, how much money is that right? Because they're all talking in in one. And uh, I'm doing. I go. Oh my god, that's like 4.2 billion. Then I go. No, it's Korean. I go. Oh my god, it's like 47 dollars. Um, like, <laughs> um, but regardless, it, it's it's super well done. It's super creepy and dystopian. And yeah, it's it's it, you got to watch it. Hey, have either of you guys seen the new? Well, I shouldn't say new episode. It's the new season of Goliath. No. Have you guys seen the first three seasons of Goliath? I don't even know what Goliath is. I don't know what that is. Oh man, Billy Bob Thornton. It's uh, he, he's a he's a lawyer, but it's I don't know. It's 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 one of those that the first season was absolutely amazing. Second season, I was kind of like, your first season was so good, and the second season was just set up for failure. Then the third season, it was like they were bringing it back. This last one was incredible, but I think I watched like all like you just said. It was like. It was either seven or nine episodes. I think I watched six of them in one evening and, and four of them the next. Well, that's what you do. You start watching these, and then all of a sudden you're like, I got to go to bed, and it's 4 a.m. Like, all right, it's yeah, tomorrow. That's exactly what I did last night. There's a new show, The Lost Symbol. It's based on um, Dan Brown, you know, the author of The Vinci Code and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a TV series that's basically based off of one of his books. So. Uh, it doesn't have Tom Hanks this time. It's got somebody else, but it's basically one of those movies split into episodic TV. So I've first three episodes and it's compelling. It's, I don't know if it's good, but it's, you know, it's keeping my interest so far. So think about this in terms of and the fact that I just mentioned out loud, then you just said it. My son said to me the other day too, that he was going to wait for all the episodes of whatever show he wanted to watch to come mm-hmm. out. Yeah. That way he could watch them all in a row. And if you, the idea that you can do that today, like I can sit down, oh, a new season came out, but I can watch the entire season in one sitting. 
that whole mantra of, you know, your parents' luxuries will become your necessities. It doesn't exactly hold true because our parents' luxuries were like a radio that's one neighbor had and everybody would come down to listen to like the baseball game in the backyard. Right. Now but people see, have, yeah. Brian, my, my though, my shows growing up, there was an ending to every show. It was like murder. She wrote, right? Like my shows were Dukes of Hazard, Miami Vice, a team. They all got wrapped up at the end. So there, you didn't, if you missed three and came back to it, you didn't miss anything. Right. And that, that that's the point. Like now, not even that it's a luxury, becoming a necessity there's no commercials there's no like <laughs> we, we we got rid of cable and the kids for like all during covid i think we paid for like three different programs on prime video right and then we got rid of all of them and all of a sudden the kids got like a commercial during one of them and they were like like crying like what just happened like the tv broke wow. I'm like i'm like the fact that you guys can sit and watch five in a row like we actually had to wake up early on a sunday to watch the cartoon we wanted. And if you missed it, you missed it. There was no like, oh, we can catch it at three o'clock and just, you know, watch it later. It didn't exist. I think the one that the, uh, the Transformers, there was like a three part. It was like the first time we were ever like subjected to that. And you like, you needed to watch all three in succession, like in three different yeah. weeks. Um, you know, was that it, was, uh... That's when it was must see TV, you know? Um, yeah. Like I remember, playing baseball outside and then six Oh five rolls around. And I got to run on the weekends. I got to run in the house and watch uh, NWA wrestling on, on TBS. Cause that was on at six Oh five. I mean, that was, you know, yeah, there's just certain things that like you had to stop, whatever, just run back now, you know, so podcast, you-, you know, video, whatever, just watch, listen, read, whenever watch, you know, season three of uh, Star Trek, the next generation ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, best of both worlds. Like they're firing on a bar cube. And then, Cut the black, and you gotta wait from. There's, there's so good June until here's September. The yeah. Here's the problem with it, Randy. You forget, like, there's certain series comes back. Like right now, um, the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what happened in the last episode of season? Was it two? And now three, season three is coming out. I have no idea. Then you gotta watch the recap, and you're like, oh, yeah. The recaps are definitely helpful. But the, the year and a half between, you know what I mean? Right. It, you know. Anyway. Did you have a bad day today, Brian, not being on Facebook for like whatever hours? So it's funny you bring up even Facebook. So I've only been in this security world for just over two years. Prior to that, I had had the book of face. Prior to that, I had Twitter. Um, And it only took me reading two books and being in the industry for three months. And I got rid of Facebook, got rid of Twitter, got rid of all that. So um, I actually thought it might be hard not to have it. Uh, but now my wife just says I'm addicted to LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. But it, I, no, I, I didn't miss Facebook being down today, but it was great to hear or not even hear. It was great to see all the, the threads going around that Facebook's down and WhatsApp's down. And the interesting part about that is most people out there are probably like, oh, well, there was probably a server down. They would never associate it with maybe that there was actually like, Maybe something security-wise happened. Maybe some type of breach happened. But I saw it was a DNS configuration issue. Yep. But and I'm not saying this is tied to it at all. But shortly after that occurred, a few million uh, files went up of people's Facebook, well, 
Facebook profile information and data went up on the dark web. But again, that's. Did you, uh, did you hear about 60 Minutes last night? No. There was a Facebook whistleblower um, that basically said um, Facebook, Facebook doesn't give, basically the gist of it was Facebook doesn't give two shits about hate, hate speech and misinformation. Um, they're more concerned with profit. And they want all of the turmoil. And you've seen the thing with the the pineapple pizza thing is a, it's created almost jokingly to divide us. You know what I mean? Um, and just to start ruckus and argument and engagement. And Facebook is more concerned with that than they are of like nice happy puppy stories, um, kind of like Anchorman Two, right? Or you know they want the 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 you know pardon the phrase but the piss and the shit and not the cupcakes and rainbows um but i'm I'm not gonna lie though like what is your business model and in where i'm going with that is like i see the world really succumb to data like oh data is so important i see people post things out there like even bringing up deming right and why data was so important yeah but that data was used to improve production right making a finished good like when you look at like what makes a superpower right? You have an army, you have an economy and you have manufacturing. Your manufacturing builds your army and it drives your economy. But now you have companies with valuations. I mean, e- even look at Tesla at the end of the day. And I, th- I thought one of the best quotes ever was when you had Akio Toyota in two earnings ago, where he was asked the question, Akio-san, you know, these are bankers, right? Sitting up there asking, well, how do you feel about Tesla and their current valuation? And he just said, mm, good chef, <laughs> and, and the guy, the, the guy was like, good chef. And he's like, mm-hmm. and then they go to the next question. And then the, the person after that goes, I go, can we come back to good chef? What exactly does that mean? Because currently Tesla is valued more than every single Japanese car manufacturer put together. And he goes, right. correct. Good chef. I think every auto manufacturer has good chef. He goes, but he goes, I think what's important is, we also have good chef, but we have very good recipe and we have many kitchens and the ability to produce your recipe over and over and over is important. And what he's saying there is try producing over 10 million vehicles a year with the quality standards we have in multiple kitchens around the world with a good recipe. So yes, I do believe they have a good chef. He said, good luck. And I love that because you go back and you say like, what what is Facebook trying to do or, or what's Facebook happy with or not happy with or what do they care about or don't care about? Who gives a shit? Because what do they actually do? You don't make a finished good. You, you're, I'll you're tell you what they do. I'll tell you what they did. They know everything about us. Yes. It's predictive, that is true. predictive analytics. They know how we're going to vote. They know what we're gonna buy. They know when we eat. We know they know when we poop. They know when we sleep, right? Like they literally know. And they ha- and not only that, they have ten years worth of empirical data. And the great, the crazy part about that is you you could say, well, today people are more concerned with privacy. No, no, no. It's not even it's not even that because at the time Facebook came out, even if you ask those people, don't you care about your privacy? I think more than 50% of them probably would have said, and don't quote me on this. That's a number when Brian says 50%, that's a pie in the sky number I'm throwing out there. Yeah. But I know back then I didn't really think about it much about the idea of privacy. 
like, oh, I was putting this photo up there. Somebody was tagging me in one, sweet, gave it a like, right? The idea of what all that data not only could be used for, but who would have their hands on it, how long it would be out there, right? Like nobody ever thought about that at the time. In the beginning, I always thought it was fine because I figured it was opt-in. I like the Jägermeister page. Jägermeister pushes ads. I like the Funyuns. Funyuns pushes ads. And then people who like Funyuns might also like, you know what I mean? Like the Amazon predicted buy. Right? Me? I was completely fine with it. But now, like, you know how I vote and you're going to push more ads because I might be a swing voter. Like, you know, did you see that documentary where they're like, that's. It's incredible. That documentary is actually incredible. It's scary. But everybody thinks, oh, Russia collusion. No, it was Facebook, like driving preference. It's. But not only that, like there's a certain floor in a certain building in Russia that literally used Facebook in, in terms of two different states, one of them being Texas. But they were able to do exactly what we did in Iran and the idea of handing bags of cash to pro-communists and anti-communists and telling them, you need to go have a rally in the street. And then you guys, hey, you need to have a rally in the same street. And then they'd show up in the same street and a a brawl would break out, right? And then you're videoing it. And back then there was no Facebook or this or that. You roll the tapes, send it live, put it on the news. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, there is communist rallies happening in Iran. We should overthrow that. Same thing in Texas. Did you, you uh, if you you watch those videos of like YouTube of like independent, don't do the CNN ones, but like the guys that are like indie creators, You'll see, like, here's BLM, here's Proud Boys, and here's, like, 372 people with with phones and cameras and gear and microphones. And, you know, so there's, like, 20 people fighting, and there's, like, 400 people covering it. And it's rubble, 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 you know? And 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 think about that from a security standpoint, because is privacy and security separate? You know, I... I truly believe, no, it's not. It's kind of like one and the same because it's not security just from the from the sense of cybersecurity, right? But but personal security, right? You're like your personal information. And because we've had, and I'll go back to Facebook, MySpace before that, even LinkedIn to an extent, Instagram, all these different social media platforms, Um there was a whole generation there. It was pretty numb to the idea of what is privacy and to the extent of, well, all my information is already out there anyway. So why do I care? It's like, really? Like, did you really just go numb? Right. Is that like the idea? Like, Oh, I already pooped in my pants. So why would I change? Like it's already in there. I'm just going to walk around. We We gave up a long time ago when we signed up for Gmail. And along with Gmail came maps. Along with that came timeline and along with that came activity dot and along that came google home yeah but you got to remember what what what, which one came first because it's when facebook literally was able to show the number of people that stayed on there longer and google was like oh my god like our whole mantra was don't be evil right and we we were literally creating a a long time ago yeah but they were trying to create a way to get you on and off as quickly as possible and then we realized wait, people aren't going to pay for advertising if we get you on and off really quick. They're going to go to Facebook and pay for that because Facebook can clearly show people sit on it all day long because they're infatuated with, did my buddy like my photo? No, I'm going to put another one up and another one up and another one up. 
And there's two parts that. to it. One is the part that they want people to argue. The other part is you need to have that uh, that stupid when when you get the when you need when you get a like and you get that uh, hormone that shoots in your head. Dopamine. Dopamine. Thank you. Um, you know, it's half dopamine, half arguing. Uh, they're just trying to get both sides of the fence because I think there's some people that just like me. This is what I'm eating. This is what bar I'm at, and this is a picture of my family. You will not see much else from me. Outside of that, other it, people, you know, they want to argue about tigers and lions and red wings and politics and food additives and, you know, toppings. And you know what I'm saying? It's just they're, they're ridiculous to read the comments section. Like, what are you doing? Like, there's certain people that I haven't met in real life, but like Randy knows them or this person knows them. Then I'll see him at an event. I go, you are an asshole. And I've never met him before. <laughs> like, seriously though randy you know exactly who i'm talking about there's like three people yeah (laughs) yeah and it's funny i i could imagine some of those people are probably the same on facebook as they are on linkedin um and it's like i don't know it's almost like they can't hold their tongue and they need to make a comment back to someone but if you go if you go at an activity dot have you ever done that go to activity.google.com okay and basically, whenever you started with Gmail, I started in like 09, 08. It's every, my entire search history, my entire location history, my entire app usage history, my entire website visited history. All the videos you've watched on YouTube. All, every, every tang. So, and that's there. also like when I got into security, I mean, it only took me like, there's a few different books that I read, but now everything I do is, is brave and duck, duck, go. Right, like, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend I was mean, asking me how to get away from Google and Amazon, and I said, "Well, it's easy. You, you know, you just don't buy anything on Amazon. It's easy to do because most of the retailers have their own stores, and you use DuckDuckGo." And I go, "And but you can't. But you got rid of. Got to get rid of Gmail, right? You pretty much got to get rid of any web base that's free because they're going to sell your shit." What's funny though is if I'm looking for like a good Thai restaurant, I still search on Google no matter where I'm at because Google knows me and it knows right. exactly what I'm looking for. Right. So it'll it'll give me the results. I swear to God, like I could do the same search in in DuckDuckGo or Brave, right? And I'm not getting what I want. Like I know what I want to see. Like just show it to me. And it's so, like Go- I mean, Google's a better search engine. Let's be honest. And that was the thing. Maps is better. Right. We, we, this is one of the recurring themes from the show since, for, since like for the last, you know, seven years is, you know, don't you dare track where I'm at, but don't you dare tell me the wrong way to get to my re- Thai restaurant. You know what I mean? So, like, we, we got our cake and we ate it too. Right. I remember when uh, we had Nuri on, and that's when we found out the Google Home because his girlfriend would always yell, okay, Google, play Aerosmith. And then they had the recordings on Activity Dot. And then, sure as shit, we would have thought, okay, Google was the trigger, and then it recorded. No, no, it recorded her saying, okay, Google. So I go, oh, that you know, that's when we realize that thing's just on. You know, it, it's super true. But this whole data thing, if you look at even Google, okay, like Facebook was able to show X number of people stay on here longer, people are going to pay us more money than for ads. Google, you got to come up with a way to do this. So they did create Google Maps. They did create, you name it, all the way to Google Home, right? That's why but it's they, called Alphabet now. They got literally 
A through Z products. And it, it, it's, it's figuring out a way to monetize the data. So when, when I see people ask, and people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, there he goes again, beating up a dead horse. Where is the next Silicon Valley? And they'll, they'll put up the little thing where it's vote, right? And it's Austin, Texas, Salt Lake City, Herndon, Virginia, right? And they put up these different locations. I'm like, where's Detroit? Because if you go back and look at Silicon Valley, what was the number one or, or, or what was Silicon Valley actually known for from a production standpoint? PCs. No, 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 no. Almonds and peaches. Right? Oh, back then, yeah. And that wasn't until Stanford created a land grant to get companies to come out there. And it was somebody that actually won the Nobel Prize for coming up with the transistor. But it was moving out there because the belief was if you could create a silicon transistor and where were you going to produce it? Somewhere where it was dry, low moisture content, right? The area for it was perfect. So they went out there and the guys who ended up coming up with the silicon transistor, it's the whole story of Intel, Bob Noyce, and how Intel was founded because it basically had to do with the East Coast investors stabbing everybody in the back over there because they all wanted the money. And in the end, everybody left and Bob Noyce ended up creating the the microprocessor the, using silicon, right? And at the end of the day, though, all that production that happened because they were producing all of it. I mean, when they decided to give a silicon transistor away for a dollar at CES back when there was only like 30 tables at CES, and now CES is the biggest show on earth, right? They gave that away for a dollar and it revolutionized. It, it put the U.S. on the map so that every washing machine, toaster, you name it, everybody could afford one now. The people that were making it could buy one. It was like four to the Model T. They killed it. And there was this huge boom in production. Missiles, everything you wanted. Boom, we made it. And that then produced all from a from a processing power, CPU, et cetera, the ability then to create AI and everything else where then people started creating software as a service. All these software companies or like a Facebook, et cetera, the idea that data now is really important. Like look how much data is generated and now we can run analytics on that. Production doesn't happen there anymore. Like people say like, even today, like, yeah, we have a shortage with microprocessors, chips, right? Well, we don't actually produce all that here anymore. All that had gone overseas. It became too expensive because we were selling air, right? We're selling software to someone. We're actually not making the finished good anymore, right? But who actually does still make a finished good today? The automotive companies make a finished good. And those cars are about to generate between 10 and 20 terabytes of data per day. 76 million connected vehicles in the next five years. Well, Who's going to have more data than anybody? We talked about... Um they're gonna. They're, what did, did Ford say, it, Randy? That they're they're a software company now, and I told them they're full of shit. Uh, GM. Oh, GM. GM said we're a software company. I'm like, no, 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 no. But I agree with you, Brian. They're 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 going to be a data company. Yeah, and actually, it, when people say like, "Are we a software company?" So all the automotive companies don't build the vehicle; they assemble it. In in my prior life at the automotive company I worked at. The number of ECUs, electronic control units that we made, and we wrote the software for them, the control units that went into the sunroof, the transmission, the braking systems, the steering columns, you name it. The number of ECUs that are inside that vehicle, and we've had this talk before, not the three of us, but with other CIOs and, and people in automotive. And I said, it, it's funny because in, in I come into this business and people are like, it's all about endpoint count or the the number of agents and 
it's I'm, I'm like when you say endpoint count, they're like, well, that company there has fifty thousand endpoints. You know, that's a big company. I'm like, okay, and that one? And they're like, well, that's ten thousand, and that one's two hundred thousand. I'm like, you do realize like they make just over one million F-150s a year, and there's twenty different endpoints inside the vehicle, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the vehicle is the vehicle, but the ECU is the endpoint, the computer the electronic control unit. And they look at me like, you say ECU to them. They're like, is that an endpoint?" I'm like, it's an effing computer. That's what it is. That's a little computer. So regardless, you could have seven to 15 computers, right? Today, there's like literally over 30 ECUs in the vehicle, but the ones that are going to matter in the future, five to 15 endpoints in the vehicle, that would be 15 million endpoints per vehicle. Think about that. And now you wouldn't want them all, and this is why vehicle architecture is very different than enterprise architecture, all necessarily communicating to each other. But when you look at the types of systems that we're creating and the idea of intelligent parking or the idea of collision avoidance, you have a ADAS system, a camera system, computing on the fly, very fast, generating information back to the braking system, to the steering system, to the transmission system. Those, those are all communicating to each other. But what's most important is getting that data back out, right? Would you trust that vehicle even with level three or four autonomy if it had to communicate to the cloud to make a decision? No, you need the vehicle. Yeah, you need the vehicle to make a decision right there in real time. But you want it to communicate to the cloud afterwards so it can tell all the other vehicles what it just learned about coming around a corner at 45 miles an hour in this really wet condition at 830 at night with a little bit of glare. Yeah, that was our joke with the autonomous driving. They go, does it kill grandma to the left or four-year-old Susie to the right? Like, who, who, someone's got to program that. Who makes the decision, right? You're like, right. Well, the, the computer made the decision. Well, no, somebody programmed it. And right. that's that's the exact point, though, right there is, at, at what point would you ever get to a level five autonomy where ownership truly becomes the car? Because no OE is ever going to accept that the computer program that was written came up with the equation that said, if I swerve left, two people could die. If I swerve right, one person dies. Okay. I mean, that's, I mean, the computer doesn't even have to think. Well, then swerve not right. only that, it's a, it's a, it's a legal nightmare because you can't see the driver. Cause I can't sue me. I wasn't driving. Yeah. At level five, it wouldn't have mattered. Right? Sure. So I think when I look at, when someone says, what's the next Silicon Valley, I mean, there's a reason why GM says to you, well, we're, we're going to be a software company because there's all this software in the vehicle. They're going to assemble the vehicle together. One of the biggest things delaying like the move to say electric vehicles today, even though they assemble the vehicle, they very much produce or, or build their engines, their internal combustion engine, the ICE. If you take that out and it's a battery system and they're not producing it, you've taken out a lot of the value add engineering that they put in there that normally has an eight to 10 to 15 year lifespan where the other parts in the vehicle are five to seven year lifespan. And those all come from suppliers. So if you take that out, the most important thing in the future for the automotive companies, I truly believe, and I, I could be incorrect. This is just Brian talking is the data that's going to come from the vehicle. If you really wanted to know where to put the best sushi restaurant, I mean, you would know where, you know, what corners, 50% of the people in this town that eat sushi drive by every day on their way home from work or in a standard day, because people are creatures of habit. 
if people actually do go into work in the future, right? And it isn't just work from home. Well, that's the that's the last thing we need as human beings is, you know, you've been to Wendy's 17 times in 2021. There's one on the right in a quarter mile. Like if that starts to happen, I I'm driving my 76 Cadillac for the rest of my life. But then also, if you stop three more times, your insurance premium goes up by a dollar. Um or if you could actually, if you were as smart as Facebook and could tell me that I have indigestion and I'm probably going to need to pull off in, th- in three miles to use a restroom, you know? Well, here's the thing. What happens when State Farm and Progressive and Allstate and all those tap into the, aid, the you know, the, the auto, automotive data and it's like you drive like an ass wipe. Like you're, you know what I mean? Like now, now you're going to make everybody drive like angels and then they're going to give us 25% discounts. I think they kind of already do it with diagnostics, you know, heartbreaking and all that. But, you know, how far are they going to take it? So there, there was a lot of conversation. I, I spent the last five years um, working on ADAS systems, autonomous systems, and specifically a lot of camera-driven systems. And a lot of talk about if if you were recording, so if there was ever an accident and your cameras were always recording, that in an accident, it automatically holds the last three minutes of camera data and then the, the following three minutes. So Yeah, doesn't Tesla do that? I think they got, I don't know if it's 60 second or something. Yeah, one, of our, one of my buddies got hit when his car was parked and triggered the... So camera. it looks back three minutes and comes forward three minutes. Yeah. And from an insurance side, I mean, especially in the state of Michigan where it's no fault, right? Yeah. Like, would, would those type of insurance programs survive? Because now you definitely know whose fault it was. Yeah. And you have four video cameras on your vehicle right now. And in the future, if there was more video cameras or even stereo cameras, right? So now you're getting, you know, depth and everything else. Like, is that bad? Do you ever it's watch not- uh, Russian dash cam videos on YouTube? No. So Russia <laughs> had such a problem with people driving like butt wipes that they literally everyone puts a dash cam on their car because there was so much insurance fraud, so many people driving poorly, people driving on sidewalks. So like people, now there's just people pretending to get hit by cars. People pretending to get hit by cars, right? Um, it's it's so everybody's got literally front and back dash cams. Um, and now with funny things that happen, they could post them to YouTube, and I can sit on Sunday morning and giggle and, and watch people get in that accident. <laughs> no, but I mean. You know, not not everyone in the U.S. has dash cams, but if you look at the ones you do watch, you know, it's gotten someone out of a ticket or an accident or a insurance claim. Yeah. Well, you, you know, when you made the comment earlier about is Google always listening? And then from a privacy aspect, this was another conversation had around these cameras is, well, isn't that a privacy issue if the cameras are always recording? Not necessarily. Like it, it goes back to it's not keeping the data unless your car it, it, this go uh, it, this can relate to security it's well you're figuring out what, what are they doing with it is that what you're getting at well yeah it goes back to the idea of suspicious versus malicious right like if somebody walks up to your car with a crowbar and a mask on and is standing next to it there's no reason why the alarm should go off or the cops should show up because that's still suspicious you're allowed to walk around with a crowbar it's they do call it the key to the city, but you're still allowed to walk around with one. Maybe you just bought it at the store because you locked yourself out of your own house and you're about to go home, right? And you bought a mask because it was just cold out. Sure. For some reason, you like masks. And 
if you the guy walks around your car for 10 minutes looking in it, it's still just suspicious. But then when he breaks the window, that's malicious, right? And the reason I relate that to cybersecurity is it goes back to the idea of something that's suspicious getting flagged all the time, right? It can simply be a false positive. So if you had these cameras constantly flagging or calling the police for all these supposedly suspicious events, right? It's, I mean, that's what people do today when they're like, oh, this suspicious guy was walking down the street, right? I did it in my neighborhood two days yeah, ago. It's, it's profiling. It's profiling. Yeah, yeah. But until you break the window, right? And I, that, that was the whole point that we were talking about back then. It's why I, I love relating it to security today. Cause that's what we were talking about in automotive was we're not keeping the information until something malicious occurs, right? Until a collision occurs, it has to be a certain speed or a certain amount of impact to the vehicle for one of the sensors to go off. And then it stores the data. So let me, let me, let me, let me add two, two very important words to that. We hope, I think that's everybody's hope that, no, Google isn't going to sell us out to the highest bidder in Congress. No, I we hope that they're not going to sell us out to Procter and Gamble to see who they should market Lever soap to because we only shower. You know, we hope. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's a, we're, it's a huge leap of faith as us, the the common man people. Um, I'm I'm going to throw this out there. Have you ever heard of Cineverse? No. They've been around a long time. Um, They handle billions of text messages a year. So like if you're sending text messages, right? Um, This is just hitting the wire. Okay. But Cineverse was hacked, but not like just recently, (laughs) like back in 2016. Okay. We're just learning about this now billions of text messages. And here's the interesting part of it. All right. That in, in they're asking for people with any information to come forward, to talk there. If you want to call it a whistleblower or an unidentified person to explaining Cineverse has come forward to say like they recognize that they had a breach. Uh, they're not sure what information is missing or has been taken. But if you understand what part of your text message they handle, and who they handle it for, which is all the largest telecoms, Verizon, AT&T, Chinese telecoms, you name it. The interesting part is that certain parts of your messaging are handled by them along with your information, et cetera, location. But it's the fact that actually parts of your messaging <laughs> could have been taken. Do you, do you see like the the... In the fact that they're not coming forward with it, but they do recognize that it happened as far back as 2016. Right. Now, think about what what type of hacker would want that type of information. I mean, this is like the idea of what Pegasus was doing with cell phones, right? I mean, good luck reading anything from anyone and figuring out what the hell they were saying. Yeah, because it's... you know, me, I'm a stickler with speaking, you know, Queens English on my text. There's a lot of people I know that, um, you know, BRB, LOL, LMAO, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I mean, it's very easy to create some analytics to be able to scrape through all that information and you could target exactly who you're looking for. And 
they recognize they found the breach in May of 2021, just reported it, but they recognize that it began in May of 2016 and carried on all the way till May of 2021. So they had, yeah, like what were they doing from a, yeah, that just yeah, can of they, worms from like, what were you doing as a security, you know, like, you're, I'm sorry, but you're fired. Like, I don't care. <laughs> but now how do you fire the company that handles all that? Because they provide the backbone of services to wireless carriers for AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. Go build their own. I, you know, I'm just saying, you know, like that's the thing. Like we manage small networks. We see someone deleted an AD folder. We're calling them in three minutes. You know what I mean? Like something like this is like, what? And, and right now, like nobody's really talking about it. And I, I just have this feeling that like. Never heard of it. Yeah. In the coming weeks, I feel like it's going to become a much bigger conversation because of the type of information that may or may not have been gathered. And this just goes into, in my humble opinion, Brian's opinion, I'm going to make sure I state that first. When you look at from an automotive standpoint, what PFEMA, DFEMA, process failure mode analysis, design failure mode analysis, going into the vehicles, right? Like, because that vehicle could kill someone and why it takes two years to launch a vehicle. And everyone's like, yeah, autos just move so slow. I, I, I will admit, because I worked in auto for a long time, we do work a little bit slow, but it is a lot to go ahead and take the number of parts that are going on that vehicle to assemble it and have that vehicle travel 100,000 miles, keeping you safe. There's a lot that goes into it. Sure. And I truly believe that the automotive companies are going to look at the data side of it too and how they handle data. But I look at these companies that have been doing this for like 10, 20 years. The idea of making sure our practices were good and that we had a good process failure mode analysis. They didn't even know what that was. They, it was like you just said about Facebook. Like we don't care about this, this, and this because it makes money. For them, it was how are we going to drive profits? It wasn't about did we build the most secure back end. In automotive, like, if, if you built a vehicle and two years down the road, you have a massive warranty and recall and someone dies or more than one person dies. I mean, those are the things that bankrupt companies. But it's actuary science. Hey, how many people have died? 50? We're good. There's like a lot. You know what I mean? But I'm I mean, not going to say like, there's a lot of truth to that too, but. Right. But you look at like crap that these companies have done to us. Apple got busted uh, doing software pushes that, that destroyed the phones and you had to go upgrade and get a new one. That's not what happened. Yes, it exactly. It's exactly what happened. <laughs> People don't care. <laughs> nope. Randy, what was it then? Not because I swear to God, it's what it was. Phone batteries couldn't keep up with the processor demand, so they pushed out a software update that slowed down processors so that the batteries would not draw more power than they could. I thought they got actually they take out a lawsuit on that crap. There was, but it's because people didn't understand what they were doing and they didn't really explain it super well either. Now let's put that into context of automotive. So let's say that I sold you a vehicle and I promised you X gas mileage, et cetera. And then your car doesn't perform that in automotive, you get sued. And I, well, actually there's a prime example, Volkswagen. I shouldn't even say that because, but I mean, the, the whole diesel gate, oh, you yeah. say that it's going to do one thing and it doesn't, it doesn't perform that way. And then you got to go ahead and push an update. And then the update that you pushed was actually kind of like a software kind of workaround to lie again for a second I'm happy, time. I'm happy, get... about, I'm happy about Dieselgate 
Oh, did you get a lot of money for, for your? Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was a Midwest sales. So I was 130,000 miles on a diesel Volkswagen and they gave me a trade-in of 24 grand. And I pretty much got a new Passat for like $2,000. <laughs> I yes. had a buddy. Or I shouldn't I'm even so say. So happy about Dieselgate. Somebody had, had over two hundred thousand miles and literally drove the car into the ground and was able to turn it in for a good chunk of money. I was like, dude, they were handing out. It was a very. It, it was a process, but I'll be damned if it wasn't a simple one. And they just cut you a check. You know, yeah. But what are you gonna? You know, again though. That was done with a, you know, they were the ones that got caught. But I think everyone was doing it at the time. Well, when, when they say everyone was doing it, everyone was doing it in Europe. Um, right. Because the the law and the way the law read there, um, there definitely was a loophole in Europe. Now, the other part of that, too, is that, especially in Germany, if you look at the large German OEMs, for every one of their manufacturing plants, wherever they're located, the town itself owns and don't quote me on this, it's like 50% or a certain percentage of the plant is owned by the town. So when Merkel said, I can't believe you guys did this and I'm going to come down hard on you, they said, well, be careful how hard you come down on us because the towns own 50% of our plants. They'll come down equally hard on you. And it was almost like, you're right. I'm going to come hard down hard on you publicly. But there's really not a whole lot I can do besides telling you guys to fix it. And in North America, it was like the only OE that did it was Volkswagen. The others were like, I don't know if that's really the smartest thing to do. But I mean, there was a good period of time there where it was like, wow, Volkswagen figured something out great with diesels that nobody else can do. And even the American companies were like, how are they doing this? I was getting 52 miles of the gallon on highway trips. And then it was those pesky college kids. Is that what did it? Yeah. They were, they were, there was a study they were running and they were like, man, the results just, it's, it's just, it doesn't work out to what they're showing and did it again. And, a third, and then when they contacted Volkswagen, I don't have it up in front of me, but when they contacted them, Volkswagen kind of politely like declined, but it was, it's kind of like in cybersecurity where you do a POC, right. And then you, you turn it in and, the, the company doesn't get back to you. And after like X number of days, you can go ahead and let the world see it. And then all of a sudden there's a new zero day on your hand. I mean, they told Volkswagen nothing happened. So then they took their findings and presented it. And after they presented it, then everybody jumped on and actually went in and investigated. It was like, wow, you're right. And literally within like two months, you couldn't even get the equipment in Europe to test it because a certain company had bought all of it up to make sure that, I mean, you would, you would have to travel five countries away from Germany in order to get the equipment to be able to test it and take a guess what company was buying it all up. Two letters perhaps. Uh, um, But you know, little nitrogen never hurt anybody. I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) yeah, it's, but anyways, I, I could go off on like long tangents like that, but, it is very relatable when you were talking about from a security standpoint or even a software standpoint. And the difference in liability, though, is you look at what Volkswagen was held accountable for and the people that either A, got arrested, 
I hate to say it, some of the people that lost their jobs over it and then the fines that they ended up having to pay, that's big for a manufacturing production company, right? Like, cause you have a lot of capital investment. Like, and I tell people this all the time and I, I'll use this show as a way to kind of air this out there again. In the top 10 largest industries in the world, where does automotive sit in profitability? Profitability? I, I don't even think, is it even in the top 10? Well, the top 10 largest industries in the world, automotive is definitely one of the top 10 largest industries. Okay. But in profitability, it's oh, dead last. Yeah. Actually, it, they hover between nine, number nine and number 10. Yeah. Um, but when you look at capital investment, they are absolutely number one for capital investment. And it's that recurring capital investment every five years for new vehicles, five to seven years between truck or passenger car. It's an incredible amount of new investment, right? And you look at these software companies, unless you're actually making the computer or the finished good, if you're, if you're only selling software, right? Like the actual logic, the algorithm, you're not making anything. You have no capital investment. So if you have to pay a, $400 million fine. It's not like you actually have another investment you have to make. You still, you're, you're pumping software out left and right, but in an automotive company to have to pay that out, you may go ahead and put two vehicles on hold for the next three years. You don't have the capital to reinvest back into yourself. It's a big difference because you're still investing in engineering and technology. You still have thousands of engineers that are designing and building and also writing code. So what, so, Taking what like Google and Facebook know about us and predictive analytics, what are the autos going to do with that? I kind of joked about, you know, telling us where there's the Wendy's that we like. Um, is it going to go into their map software? Is it going to go into selling it to, I, I'm just trying to figure out where they would sell it to. Cause I know they're trying to. Well, well, well think, think about who the first, first companies will, that they'll sell to. It'll kind of be to their own companies. So GM, Stellantis, Ford, all have GM Financial, Stellantis Financial, Ford Financial. You'll have services that you'll create that you'll sell to those companies. All your dealerships, you'll have services that you'll sell to them because now you have an incredible amount of data that's very powerful about the users of your own product, right? That'll give you the ability to find better ways to sell and also to figure out what options, what things the consumer really, really wants, right? Besides the suppliers telling you what the consumers want based off what they feel. Um, you'll actually have a lot of good data about that um, and what things they're actually using within the vehicle. Like how many people actually really do use their sunroof? Like, I hate to say it, like the largest sunroof ratios in the world coming from a company that sold tons of sunroofs is North America. The options in North America are higher than any other place in the world. I personally though, don't like my sunroof. Like, but if I want all the other bells and whistles, I have to get the sunroof too. I can't say, I want this, this, and this. And I like it. This. I like it slid open, but not open, open. If that makes any sense. I just, I, I hate the sun coming down. Like this sounds so bad. I'm the guy that closes the sunshade as soon as I get into it. Seeks your basement IT guy. That's what it is. <laughs> Maybe this is what I was always cut out to be. The sun is a monster. I, I've seen, uh, I know your people. Yeah. But it, it, those will be the first things they sell to, though, or services around to the dealerships, the financials. But then from there, though, comes, you know, more of the intelligence data, right? Um, predictive data around how to make the vehicle better, 
Um, and that's where you start to get into the other services around just the roads, the roadways themselves, right? Um, and distances traveled, right? You'll you'll know exactly where certain things that need to be, right? People always say like um, a place for everything, everything in its place, right? But the idea of knowing it's not even just predictability now, you know how far the car can travel, you know the behavior of where people are mostly going and, and destinations and spots where today we draw them all out and Google Maps and everybody else can do a great job of figuring that out. But the vehicles themselves will do a much better job of figuring it out because they are the calculator um, and they'll actually know the behaviors of the people in the vehicle. Brian, for about, um, what was it, Randy? Two or three weeks, um, I kept going to, to Detroit and Hamtramck and they would route me out not on 75 and 75 was under construction. And I was starting to get livid. It's saying, like, is this a thing? Or, like, they're yeah, trying yeah. to rob people out of 75 to keep it clean. And I started getting super angry. And then he's like, I think, Randy, you told me, he's like, why don't you open up and see where, you know. And I said, no highways. I had it checked. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I'm, I swear to God, for three weeks, it had to have been three weeks where I was, like, literally 45, 50 minutes to get downtown. I got yeah, you kept pulling out of 75 and it would tell you to get off at the next immediately the next exit. Right. Then I fought it. I'm like, no, I'm staying on this damn highway. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. No, but like, yeah, I'm just like, again, I, it'll keep me up all night if I think about what they're going to do. But, with their but, it, but, but even think to the point, like when people originally first started looking at Facebook and using Facebook and the idea of just simply liking something and sharing something and people would say, well, how is that company ever going to make any money? Right. Well, why did and, it start? Cause, cause somebody wanted to get laid. Let's be in it. Let's be honest. That was the only reason. Yeah. But yeah. like even the data that they were originally gathering, you know, people said, well, what's the value in that? Well, look how much time people spent, excuse me, look how much time people spent on that website. In, when you look at the average time that people spend inside a vehicle, you say, well, you only use the vehicle for a short period of time in the morning, a short period of time in the afternoon or the, the evening, and then wherever you're running to. But I used to go back and do the math and I'd say, on average, I'd spend almost two hours to two and a half hours a day in my car. That's actually a lot of time in a vehicle when I had to go into an office and come home from an office. Sure. So, you know, I, I do that math on two and a half hours within the vehicle you know, if there's other services that you could now offer, it, it's like airplanes. Like I look back at before there was ever videos, you know, movies on airplanes. I mean, Randy, you mentioned the Dan Brown books. Yeah. Back when I first started working in automotive and I was traveling all the time, I read all the Dan Brown. I read all the Grissom. I mean, I went through everybody, Ludlum, you name it. I was reading books on the flights. And then, and, and this has to do with the company I worked for at the time because they wouldn't get us laptops. Like you had a desktop. That also goes to show my age as well too, because laptops actually weren't that prevalent at first. Um, I mean, going to Tokyo, I had it down to, I had two DVDs and a portable DVD player, a Magnavox one I had, uh, two books, three movies on the, that the, they would show you and right. three meals. Cause I couldn't sleep on planes and yeah. I had it down to a science. And, and you knew I worked for a Japanese company. So the flight back yeah. and forth to Japan. Awful. I mean, yeah, Not and, but then all of a sudden these movie screens come out and you could watch, I mean, and they have the latest and greatest movies along with old ones. But then the problem is they they only update them like every, I don't know, 
I think it was like every month or every two months. And mm-hmm. if you were actually traveling quite a bit, like it got to the point where, you know, after a few years of travel, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. They don't update the movies. I had to watch Soon the enough. Princess. I had to watch the Princess Diaries too, back to back, there and back. <laughs> but it, but it just goes to show, like when we made the comment at the very beginning, like your parents' luxuries become your necessities. No, no, no. That was like 40 years ago. Today, it's yesterday's luxuries are now your necessities. Like it, it's it happens overnight. Like every year, whatever was out last year is now a necessity for you, and the new stuff that comes out sooner or later becomes a necessity. It's not like, you know, when growing up, we had a black and white TV. And then, and imagine, remember how big TVs were back in the day? No, no. It's how much they weighed. They weren't big. <laughs> they took up a lot of space. It was, uh, it was furniture. Yeah. Yeah. It literally was. TV. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hate to say it. Furniture companies made a killing on the idea that you were going to buy a TV and yeah. you were going to put it inside one of those. I don't know. My parents well, had one. Think about when I got my, you know, when I got married in 02, you had to have a bookshelf just for DVDs, right? And, you know, CDs. You had like media center, like the you know. Now there's there's nothing. You know what I mean? Like look look at now. I, I'm looking at three different screens, not including my laptop. I have three screens just to work on. Yeah, all all curve monitors. Yeah, inside inside our house, like I'm looking over there. I got, I got a 70 inch TV on the wall over there, mounted, just hanging right. And everything is clipped up behind it, hanging. And I actually ran electrical, so the plug is back there on the wall. So there's nothing underneath it, right? Like, you you can put these TVs anywhere now. I got two TVs that hang outside on the deck. Oh, they're picture frames, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Like My bookshelves in my living room have my action figures in them. I'll be damned. But now let's go back to security. Like, you look at all the things that we buy that can connect to something – like we literally are like all these awesome conveniences literally are just ways that connect us into the, the internet, the web. And I, myself, like every single light that's in my house is a Lutron. Cause well, I, sh- I shouldn't share this with people. People are going to start hacking into my house. I just have a ton of wireless crap in my house because when I first looked into it years ago, I'm like, man, this will make things really convenient. And it does. Cause I can go to bed pull my phone out and she'll say, Hey honey, did you turn off all the lights? And I just hit the button. Boom. All the lights are off. It's the modern day clapper, man. It is. It really is. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I love it. Like I, I can literally like leave the cottage and be an hour into the drive and wonder, did I shut the garage and did I turn the lights off and I'll pull my phone out and be like, whoops, closed and lights off. Mm-hmm. Right. There's none of this turn around, go back. It's a convenience thing. Well, no, not just that. Like, you know, you know, especially with kids. Now we got, we got our house nested up and this is the creepy thing. I just put the doorbell in. And since, since my kids are attached to my Google photos by name, right. So we sorted them all by kid. Um, when they showed up and said, you know, Magdalena's at the front door. Well, like it called it out before I even programmed it in. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, Oh boy! Oh, this is not good. It's great, but it's not good. But I'm glad. See, but I hate it. And I, I, I am not going to sit here and say, like, I'm for fighting. But if you go back and look at like when we were growing up in high school, when you were growing up in high school, then I'm a little bit younger. When I was growing up in high school, 
like if you got in a fight in high school, it was basically your word versus his word or four other witnesses. And you all sat down with the principal today. It'd be like 20 different videos showing up to the principal. If you lied and said, well, he kind of pushed me first before I swung and hit him in the face. And then he watches the video and you tap him on the shoulder. He turns around and I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty clear and obvious. Like I, I think about it. I'm just like, man, like the, I'm not saying for good or for better or worse. I'm just saying in general, I'd be very surprised if, if a kids are fighting, why they're fighting. If they know they're being videotaped all the time, like just why do it? So there was a TikTok challenge about trashing bathrooms and stealing urinals. And it happened at my kid's school. So if they have break and they need to pee, they're allowed to go to one central bathroom with a guard outside, one in, one out. That's it, period. I, I love this. If anybody I used to work with at, at my previous company, I won't say the company out loud, remembers this story. What you just said, Bob, we we had, I forget what they even called them, the brown bomber. Somebody that would go down and use. So in our downstairs, I, I worked for a Japanese company. In the downstairs, um, you know, what do you, the entrance way, there was a seating area and there was three bathrooms there. And those bathrooms had, I mean, they were massive bathrooms and they had the shower toilet seats. And what we refer to as shower toilet, those are the ones that are like the bidet, wash you from underneath, et cetera. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, I, I know several managers that used to take folders and put a magazine in it and walk downstairs like they're headed to the conference room. And as soon as they got past like the front desk would just veer left into one of those bathrooms. Right. Well, there was a mad, what we called the Brown bomber. Somebody was literally pooping all over on purpose and leaving it in there. And this went on for like a good five months and they couldn't catch the person who was doing it. But then lo and behold, somebody ended up getting fired for other reasons and it just suddenly stopped. And everyone was pretty sure that was the person. And I mean, to this day, it's like, I mean, we, we think we got our guy unless somebody was smart enough just to be like, I think everyone thought it was him. So I'm just going to stop doing it. But I'm pretty sure we got our guy. Drew and Mike talked about that all the time. There's a guy that it was like, uh, I forget what the, they called him, um, but he says write words on the wall with it. Yeah. And they never caught him. I mean, and could you imagine working for a Japanese company and you have guests in your lobby who go to use your bathroom and open up the door and that's what they see? I mean, at least be a gentleman and waffle stomp it if you're in the shower. You know, I mean, come on. Come on. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. It hurt me if I wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have dropped that one. I feel like we need a section where somebody can ask, please explain the waffle stomp. And they write in. Don't Google it, whatever you do. Because <laughs> then you'll get tagged in some data analytical model where you're, you know. You're doing waffle stomping. Randy told wow. me the worst one, the worst one of all time that's going that went viral. Um, is it Mormon or just soaking? Oh yeah, it's uh Mormon college kids like, called Mormon soaking. Yeah, they're not allowed to have sex. It's against their moral standards for admission to BYU and other schools, so they just soak. They they just put it in and it just let it soak. Yeah, no no in and out. Just let it soak. Then they get their friends to jump on the bed. Oh, come that's, on. That's called hump jumping. You have your friend jump on the bed next to you so that it 
moves, but you're not doing it. So it's fine. It's a, a loophole. So earlier when I mentioned the, the show that I was watching at home called Banshee. Mm-hmm. So literally they're, Oh no, no, it's not. Was it? I, I I'm, I'm like looping back here real quick. It wasn't Mormons. It's in the, in the town of Banshee. There's uh, da, 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 da. Bob, help me here. When you're traveling down to Ohio and you know, between here and Columbus, you'll hit a bunch of small towns in horse-drawn carriages. Amish? Amish. Amish. There's an entire Amish town in Banshee. And like like the lead drug dealer used to, you know, was Amish and was shunned and 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 left, right? And he's also like this incredible badass, right? Like I'm I'm not even gonna get into the details of it, but the whole four seasons or five seasons of this show is incredible fighting, a lot of intimacy and a ton of cybersecurity hacking by a guy named Job. And it's actually pretty cool. But when you just said that and you were talking about the Mormons, I was like, yeah, that show had a bunch of Mormons in it. No, no, no. It was, it, it was Amish. And anyways, I, I got long winded there, but. I always it's, love it's the, it, the guy, not even so much like me, cause I'm not so much a coder, but like the movies that have that. And it's like the, the, you're doing it wrong crowd. It's like my buddy who's a firefighter that watches like Chicago fire on channel four and the whole episode, he's not even enjoying the show. He just wants to yell. You're doing it wrong when they mess something up. I think it's like like swordfish too. Like John Travolta. Yeah. And they're like, what, what is this? Like everyone I know that just basically this it guy never enjoys any site, any it movie. It's all basically (laughs) that's stupid. doesn't work like that. Randy, favorite IT movie, favorite security movie. Uh oh boy, probably sneakers. Hackers, hackers. That's the, that's the easy, that's the Godfather it's answer. Not really a thing for my generation though. Like those are all movies for Gen Come X. On. Black you, hat, you, black hat, hands down. Because like a guy that looks like Thor is going to be the greatest hacker in America, and they need to hi- get him to save the world. What about right. sneakers? Sneakers? Yeah. You guys don't remember sneakers? Oh, come on. Is that the gambling movie with uh, Matt Damon and... Uh, no, 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 no. Sneakers was... It's uh, Rounders. You know why the guy from Black Hat looked like Thor? Why? Because he was Same Thor. actor. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> no, sneakers was Robert Redford, one of my all-time favorites, also Spy Game, Robert Redford. Um, Dan Aykroyd. Oh, River Phoenix was on it. Um, Sydney Poitier and oh, there was a few other people in there. Okay, if I can't have uh, if I can't have hackers, how about um, Eagle Eye? Fair. Yeah. With Shia LaBeouf. Fair. That was actually a good hacker movie. Yeah, you got to check out if you've never seen Sneakers. I think I War promise. Game is The Godfather Two. Hackers is The Godfather One. I think those are the two that you just can't. So if you get a chance to watch sneakers, it's not the type of, it's not like that type of a hacker movie. Robert Redford hand down is absolutely amazing. Um, And it does involve, I mean, it takes place like with a different group of San Francisco companies and Robert Redford is the hacker. He's a computer hacker. 
And I think that makes sense. If I remember correctly, though, he was released from jail or there was something where he couldn't go do stuff. Anyways, and the NSA visits him and turns out they're not NSA guys. And it, it, it leads into this whole cool thing. But there's one guy in the movie, if I remember correctly, who's blind. And when they have to retrace like where he was taken, they, they go through like the steps and this guy's got these mu- headphones on and he's like, yeah, but then we came by like this, you know, a tea party. Right. And he like, he's like, did it sound like this? And he's like, yeah, he's like flamingos. And he looks up like everywhere where there could be flamingos in this route from here to here. And then he's like, and then there was this time where it was like a thud, the thud, the thud. He goes, what was the spacing between the thuds? He's like, I can't remember. It was kind of like, and then he plays back like five different versions of the thuds. And the guy's like, no, no, no. It was the second one. He goes, those are the parting ways on bridge, blah, 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 blah. Right. And literally can trace the entire path where he was taken and knows the location he was held. That's where these guys are that stole the software. Like it, it's kind of one of those feel good movies. You know, it reminds you of, did you ever hear the story about Shia LaBeouf when he was right, when he started going crazy and he started putting the flags up and then people started finding out where he was and they would take the flags down. They would raise like a peppy flag and it would piss them off. So the more he got mad, the more people wanted to do this. So, uh, I think I'm trying to tell the story as accurate as possible. I don't know all the details, but like he went to some weird area in like the middle of Podunk, Carolinas, and raised his flag. And he put a camera on it. And the internet found out where he was by tracking the uh, the not the chemtrails, but you know what I mean the the air, airline uh, exhaust, and basically looked at route patterns from airlines. And basically triangulated, and then like people would drive around holding on their horn, so that and they would communicate in this group chat of like, "Oh, I can hear you. It's faint. It's faint. It's getting closer." So like as they were beeping, then they finally found it and put up peppy flag, and they finally quit. Um, that's amazing. I mean, but that's that's like the same level of stuff, and that goes back to the whole idea of privacy and security, right? Like, it's it's not just cyber security. Right. But the actual idea of security and privacy, because if you have access to all that data, what you were just talking about, the ability, the ability to triangulate the patterns of the exhaust from airplanes. Right. Now look at the exhaust you leave as a human being with all the things you do. Sure. And when we originally talked about opt in versus opt out, you know, if it's opt out and people are not opting out, the ability to not only give up your privacy or what you don't realize is your privacy, essentially giving up a good part of your own personal security. And the moral of the story too is also don't piss off the internet. I think that's what we've learned uh, a few times. Like don't F with cats. Um, yeah. The Shia LaBeouf, like, you know, your data's all out there. Just, you know, if you piss someone off, <laughs> they're going to use it against you. So be nice. Totally agree. Randy, any last thoughts there? No, um, it's interesting. I try to avoid the the companies that uh, kind of make more or do have less of a commitment to user privacy. Like I try to avoid Google products whenever I can. I just don't like what they're doing with consumer protections and, and products and things like that. Plus a lot of their products suck. But uh, so I try to use alternatives. I'm not privacy oriented that I'll use, you know, DuckDuckGo or Brave or things like that, but I just use alternatives. Like I trust Microsoft more with my information than I do Google. So I use Bing instead of Google for search. 
And do you think some of that is perception or just overall what you know? Um, I think it's a, it's, it's what I know, you know, like I said, a lot of it is, um, I don't like the way Gmail works, for example. So I avoid it. So that just, you know, that's kind of core to Google's platform is, you know, you have a Gmail account, so it makes it a little easier to avoid Google products that way. Um, I still watch videos on YouTube occasionally, but, um, you know, I try to avoid Google as much as possible. Uh, I don't have Amazon prime. I still buy from Amazon occasionally. Um, but you know, when you say occasionally, like five times a week or, Oh God, no, you know, (laughs) maybe twice a month. Yeah. I'm Uh, all all in with my overlords, man. But I'm, I'm more instant gratification. Like I would much prefer to drive to a store and get it in my hands ASAP anyway. So it's not hard to avoid online shopping. I will, if it's not something that's common or available locally, but, uh, you know, so I, I try to minimize my, or at least be conscious of, if not minimize, at least be conscious of who the companies I support and where I use my information and that type of thing. So no, that's good. Hey, Brian, we're going to, we're going to cut you loose. I can't thank you enough for the, uh, for the insight and the conversation. We could probably have a four hour episode where they just, just talking about everything. So I'd love to have you back. Um, Brian Schneebly, Sentinel One, find him on LinkedIn unless you don't want to be found. Um, you can always decline. Um, but hey, we're going to wrap things up for this episode 413. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor, drink up your drinks, get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. Bye.